Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm your host, Jacqueline. You're listening to the first season of Perfectionist. Together they will rise, or together they will fall. Aileen Galathinius has vowed to save her people, but at a tremendous cost. Locked in an iron coffin by the Queen of the Fae, Aileen must draw upon her fiery will as she endures months of torture. The knowledge that yielding to Maeve will doom those she loves keeps her from breaking, but her resolve unravels with each passing day. With Aileen captured, her friends and allies have scattered. Some bonds will grow even deeper, while others will be severed forever. But as destinies weave together at last, all must stand together if Aurelia is to have any hope of salvation. Sarah J. Maas' number one New York Times best-selling Throne of Glass series draws to an explosive conclusion as Aelin fights for her life, her people, and the promise of a better world. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the first half of part one of Kingdom of Ash, and more specifically, we're going to include the prologue, which there are two of, as well as chapters 1 through 31. Yes, and a fair warning to our listeners, there will be spoilers as we discuss major plot points and our opinions of them, but this podcast is by no means a substitute for reading the book. There are plenty of intricate details that we just won't have the time to touch on. So as we mentioned, we start with two prologues. The first of the two prologues is called The Prince, and it is from the perspective of Rowan. And he's been searching for Aelin the entire two months. And he just looks like, or not looks, but he sounds like he's just so lost and just very like a bit out of it, a bit like tunnel visioned, a little focused on like, well, his whole entire focus is on finding Aelin. And mm-hmm. I believe he mentioned something like, if it weren't for his companions that he's traveling with, that he would just have been like utterly lost. Like they kind of keep him focused on his goal while he's navigating the heartbreaking task of trying to find Aelin. Yeah. When when you said like he's lost and stuff, yes, for sure he was lost. But I thought that it was portrayed really well that it, it was basically like what I think Sarah was trying to get across is like this fey male just like completely instinctually being driven by the mate bond to find mm-hmm. his wife, right? Yeah. Um, and there was nothing else in his head. And like you said, the tunnel vision. And it, it was it was almost like he had almost lost his own identity. And he was just completely just so focused on reuniting with Aelin that it was just, it was just very like animalistic, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was an excellent way of describing it. So meanwhile, um, Aelin is being held on an island in the middle of a very isolated misty river. So it's concealed by this sort of ever-present mist is what I was given to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she can hear like the, the endless like roaring of the river, which I almost feel like in itself is a little bit torturous for someone whose power is like fire. She's surrounded by just water constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you can turn the sound off because that's just where she is. And yeah, and so Karen is just torturing her and he's 
uh, if you recall his, him, he's like very sick and he he's sadistic and loves the torture. But mm-hmm. Aelin has been trained in how to endure torture thanks to her assassin's training. Um, so even though it's like mind-bogglingly bad, she's actually holding up and applying some techniques, I think, that she learned. But she's really starting to lose her grip on reality and it's gotten to the point now where she's not sure if what's happening around her is real or is not. So Fenris, who is there kind of with her being forced Mm -hmm. to watch this torture and unable to do anything about it due to the blood oath he has with Maeve. um, You sort of learn that they have this silent way of communicating and he it's so he can like let her know things are real as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have like a, a blink code and I don't remember what everything means, but like, I think like one blink is no, two yes, like something along those lines. And then a certain number I think of three is like, I'm, I'm okay. Here. And four is and I'm here, I'm, I'm with here. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so yeah. like the fact that they managed to create that and they both seem to understand it and, mm-hmm. oh, it just kind of goes it's to very show, heart like, wrenching. Mm-hmm. Like Fenris, all he can do is blink at Aelin. Like I'm here, I'm with you, and it's like oh, it's just really gut wrenching. Yeah, and like kind of the bond that has solidified between the two of them. I think the it, trauma like, bond. That. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that is what that's called. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Maeve is using like illusions and dreams in order to manipulate Aelin, which is I think part of the reason why she's losing her grip on reality is because mm-hmm. she's not only being physically tortured, but also psychologically tortured in the sense that her reality is being warped. And this reminded me of in Mocking Jay when PETA gets like oh, yeah. infected with the, or do they tracker jackers or yeah. something like that? Um, and their venom and then is like forced to watch certain scenes and then that like reroutes his brain Mm -hmm. i'm like oh are we gonna see something like that with aelin where like the manipulation like the psychological manipulation mixed with the physical torture is that gonna lead to some sort of rewiring in her brain that's gonna be like a challenge she has to overcome later in the story right yeah that's a good point Ooh, yeah i am concerned about that yes (laughs) it's uh the whole intro, like, and this is like the second prologue entitled Princess, in which we see Aelin's perspective. And the whole scene, the first scene with her in it is just like so impactful. And I think it really brings the reader back to the reality of what's happening in this world, in the story that we're reading. Because when you leave Empire of Storms, it's just like this heightened emotion, this huge cliffhanger. And I think the prologues really help solidify where we're supposed to be emotionally in this story, which right. is helpful because you're jumping in to a very mm-hmm. high impact emotional story, which typically at the beginning of a, of a novel, you're not this far into the emotion yet. But That's it's like, right. as readers, we need to be mentally prepared yeah. for almost you, like an yeah. end game at the beginning. That's, yeah, exactly. The intensity of it, you mean, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, it was very important uh, because we had also, if you read it as author intended, um, you're coming off of Tower of Dawn. So you do mm-hmm. need to like be reintegrated into that 
uh, super fast paced, high stake, intense environment. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. One thing I thought was very interesting with the scene with Aileen is the first time Maeve is mentioned within the prologue, she's mentioned as having like a spider's grin. And I thought that was so Mm -hmm. interesting now that we know what we do know about her connection to, what are they called? The The Karen Queen. Yes, the Karen Queen spiders. Yeah. So I was like, oh, has it always been described this way? Am I only now picking up on it because I know of that connection? Oh, yeah. Good question. Yeah. I I feel like when I was first starting the series, I didn't quite understand that every single detail would matter. (laughs) And And now we're on the last book. Now we're like, everything's intentional. And so, yeah, I think the spider's smile thing, that's intentional. It's like just mm-hmm. breadcrumbs that she leaves for us. So, you know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and read it and see if she's described that way from the very beginning. Yes. I, I am looking forward to my eventual reread of this series mm-hmm. because I will be definitely keeping a sharp eye out for a lot more things. So this book is a little bit different because it is the last book in a long series. And as you said, we're coming, if you read it in the purest order you're coming off a tower of dawn and and like it might have been quite a while since you've read empire storms and some Mm -hmm. people if you read this as they were coming out it could have been quite a while since both those books before reading kingdom of ash so the first six chapters are essentially putting the reader back into the minds of each of the characters letting the reader know where each of the characters are and reminding the reader of different major events that happened in both Empire Storm and Tower of Dawn to kind of catch everybody up and make sure Mm -hmm. we're all on the same page of what's kind of going down. We have Idian, Lysandra, kind of the majority of the allies that Aelin had sort of collected all in Terrison. So they have officially made their way up. As we said, two months have passed, so they've made their way up to Terrison. They're staying, I believe, in Wren's or around where Wren's kind of lordship is located. Mm-hmm. And at this point, because the lords still technically control Terrison, like they still don't see Aelin as a queen, we have them making all the decisions for the Bane and therefore the allies, because the allies are kind of following whatever the Bane does. Right. So Idian's kind of having to navigate between doing what he thinks is right for Aelin's cause and Terrison as a whole while still being controlled by the Lords and their decisions. Yeah. Sort of interesting, like the political things that are going on behind the scenes as well, because Lysandra is obviously posing as Aelin, Mm -hmm. which every time I was reading about her posing as Aelin, I I personally felt pretty nervous. Mm -hmm. Me too. You know, it's like they're going to find her out. But we also get to see Evangeline and uh, Fleetfoot and Fleetfoot's become, become kind of like chubby from all the like <laughs> loving and doting and she's getting all these treats. And it's just, I thought it was a really nice touch that um, Sarah put that in there that we actually, we haven't forgotten about Fleetfoot. She's still around and it sounds like she's mm-hmm. doing really well. And I, I think that's yeah. just such a nice touch because it easily could have just been forgotten, I think. Yeah, I love that as well. Yeah, and we also learn that Morath is marching to Terrison, which I think feels 
expected feels pretty expected at this point. Mm-hmm. In some ways it's expected, but to be honest, I actually didn't think the fighting was going to start this early. I thought yeah. there was going to be a lot more buildup, um, a lot more kind of like reintegrating us back in the story, but no, more us coming, like yeah. first few chapters and they're like heading to Terrace and you're like, oh boy, yeah. it's going to be a long book. <laughs> yes. And so I wanted to see what you thought of this because this kind of like struck me as I was reading it because now we are, this is the final book in the series. So we're mm-hmm. going to be seeing everybody's perspectives. We're no longer jumping from like, okay, well, we're doing like this, these characters' perspectives in this book and then these characters' perspectives in this book. Like, you know, it was a few books until we were introduced to Menon and stuff like that. And now we're mm-hmm. seeing everybody's perspectives and it just gives a very like Avengers feel almost. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's like, a lot going on. When they come back together, it's like Avengers assemble, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, I mean, I assume that's what's going to happen at the end is that everyone right. is eventually going, like I'm all hoping. the storylines will yeah. link together at the end for this ultimate battle. Yeah. Uh, who knows uh, what's actually going to happen. Yeah. I think that would make sense. Yes. Or maybe not at the very end. Maybe there's going to be a situation where it's like the very end of the book is like, 10 years in the future. It might go oh, down that road. Right. That could be kind of good. So Adion and Lysandra, they had been, I, I almost feel like they're kind of maybe mates, <laughs> but we don't know, but they're obviously, mm-hmm. they were very attracted to each other. And I think Lysandra still feels the same way. However, she's feeling extremely betrayed because of this plan that Aelin formed with Lysandra about, and Rowan too, about mm-hmm. um, like becoming Aelin in case Aelin, in case something like what has happened to Aelin happens. But yeah. if it goes on and on and on, you know, there was this plan to have Adion and Lysandra uh, procreate. <laughs> uh, and it was because Adion is often said to look like Aelin's twin. And so it could be believable then that his mm-hmm. children would bear some of the same resemblance, obviously to him and therefore Aelin, uh, f- continuing the ruse um, that Aelin is still there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so Adion, although it's like a pretty genius plan, they did not like consult Adion about this. Which I'm a little confused why. Like, I feel like they would have. I'm well, a little surprised they didn't. I know. Um, I think probably what happened was things were happening so quickly that it just, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, that that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But Adion is extremely, feels deeply betrayed by this whole thing. Um, and he can barely stand to look at Lysandra because he, I think it like, it's not just that they formulated this plan without him. Um, I think it probably goes deeper than that. Like he, they're essentially going to rob him of his bodily autonomy um, to use him for his genetics, like to create an heir. So he's having a really hard time with this. And I think that's like a very realistic reaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it also is probably um like he has the right to have an even stronger reaction given his reputation. I think he was kind of almost seen as like a, I don't know, ladies man, but not in a way that he had a choice about it. Almost like 
Finnick in yeah. again, Hunger Games. Right. It kind yeah. of is giving that sort of a vibe. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that's his history and he talked about like, that's kind of how, why he thinks him and Lysandra connect that's so right. well is because they have a sort of shared history in the sense that they were both forced to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do. Maybe looked at as sex that- symbols without mm-hmm. their, like that not, that's not why, that was not their choice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so now that again, he's being forced to do something in the same realm. Yeah. Something so. else that occurred to me as well is it's not just like that, but also if they did have a child, he'd have to present to the world that he's not the father, mm-hmm. which I think that could be really, you know, depending on the person, but that could be kind of tragic, right? Like in. Well, yeah, especially since I think he wanted to have children with Lysandra. Mm-hmm. Like he confessed he wanted to marry her like yeah it's like he wants this life but he wants it with her and she was the first person he actually wanted to pursue like Mm -hmm. and and the last person he wanted to pursue so this is so sad it is so sad I really hope they work it out me too they must although I have not actually seen any art spoilers that they do which does not bode well (laughs) But, you know, um, speaking of art spoilers, I don't see a lot of Adion period, though. It's like True. people don't really draw him that much. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few, but mm-hmm. not not like all the other characters. It's like he's forgotten. <laughs> yeah. And most of the ones I see of Lysandra is like her in half ghost leopard form or her with Evangeline. Mm-hmm. So, which is makes sense. Those yeah. are sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I noted about sort of the introduction of this group of people is they mention a wolf tribe living even further north of Terrison, kind of in the mountains. Mm. I'm like, that's an oddly specific thing to mention randomly. So I don't think it is random. So I'd like to know, like, what is this wolf tribe? What are they? Are they like wolf shifters? Are they just... Like, what are they? Are they people who have wolves as pets? Did they say? Like, I can't recall. They didn't say, but my assumption when I was reading it was just that they are a tribe of people, like human people, who live super far north. So they have, like, maybe they have, like, wolf symbolism or actual wolves as, like, pets. That makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. I was thinking there would be, like, wolf shifters, but I was like, but they didn't mention that, so that's kind of... no. I'm completely making it up. That's just what I created in my brain. All they said was that there is a wolf tribe. That's literally it. That they exist. Well, it should be interesting to find out more about that. Obviously, we're going to because otherwise, why mention it, right? Yeah. I think it'll be like one of those uh, miraculous saves Mm -hmm. when it looks like absolutely nothing can help whatever group is in trouble. Right. Swoops in the wolf tribe. Yeah. (laughs) That could be cool. So, and then moving on to Elide. So she's with, she's in the, like, I feel the most dangerous spot. Well, no, they're all in danger, but she, like, despite her sort of handicap with her bum ankle or foot, she, mm-hmm. uh, she's always with people who are, like, just in the thick of it. So Gabriel, Lorcan, and Rowan, they've been searching for Aelin, as we kind of mentioned earlier, and they're south of Doranel. And Elide and Lorcan are not on good speaking terms, unsurprisingly, with the way that Lorcan kind of screwed everything up for everybody. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it so in Empire of Storms, if you recall, Lord and oh, this was such an intense moment where Lorcan was like after the blood oath was broken, and he was like crawling after Mabel, and Elide was so disgusted. It was like pathetic. Mm-hmm. And then she finally kind of says like you know, you crawled after her and he's like, what? Like he didn't even realize that was a thing because in, he said, he then tells a lie, like, no, I wasn't crawling after Maeve. I was crawling after Aelin. And mm-hmm. at this reveal, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Like, well, because we were all disgusted with him. I think Allied and readers alike were like, what a horrible person. Yeah, yeah. And then it turns out, actually, he wasn't as devastated about the thing that we thought he was. He truly did convert to Aelin's side. Yeah, and I think, like, the breaking of the blood oath is very physically painful and difficult to get through, even if you don't, like, care for the person, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going through all of this, like, physical intensity but he's still trying to crawl after Aelin. And I thought yeah. like, oh, Elide, like how can you be angry with him now? Like <laughs> he did have the blood oath, like. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it'll just take her some extra time to kind of come to terms with that. But mm-hmm. I find their relationship really interesting because she's human. So she's human, but she has like a goddess sort of whispering to her. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, why is that? And also I'd like to know like, Obviously, Lorcan and Elide, like, we ship them, right? Mm-hmm. But how is that going to work? Because he's immortal, right? That- and she does have the witch blood, but there's nothing to indicate that that's going to mean that she'll have the life of a witch. Span. Yeah, exactly. But there's nothing to necessarily say it's not possible that she could have maybe not a witch long life, but maybe a half witch long life. So right. something in between. So yeah. they have more time together. Yeah. Uh, than if she were just fully human. Yeah. So another thing we're reminded of is the whole is Rowan and Aelin mates. And we do find out at the end of Empire Storms that yes, they are. Mm-hmm. And now we get to mm-hmm. kind of see that from Rowan's perspective. So he has fully come to terms with the fact that it was Maeve who manipulated him into thinking that Lyra was his true mate. And now that he's reflecting back on the situation and everything he's gone through with both um, Lyra and Aelin, he's like, oh, I was such a fool not to see it. And mm-hmm. he's like thinking about all these different experiences he had, like the first time he bit Aelin and how it like was presented as like him just Clean. trying to get her to shift. But then you rightfully said it actually was his like mate bond kind of taking over him and trying to claim her. But in the story, it makes the readers think like, oh, no, that's not what it was. But really. Yeah, it was confusing, though, because in the story, I remember distinctly it said it was a claiming like it was so claiming. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's a strange description to use if it's not like a mate thing. And then in this particular part that you're talking about he's talking about how he remembers like we finally hear his side of that how Mm -hmm. he remembers when he bit her and tasted her blood how her blood sang to him yeah so it's like now they've both kind of come to terms with like yes we are definitely mates we were mates the whole time and that's why there was this strange connection between us it wasn't the karen and bond that we kind of like used as an excuse yeah um yeah, I thought it was very poignant 
how Rowan's thinking about this mate bond and how he realizes throughout all the centuries that it's been Aelin, like the mate bond is what's been like pulling him through and he's mm-hmm. always been searching for her. And I, I just thought that was so beautifully described. And it's like super sad because he's literally searching for her again. Yeah. And, and it's knowing like, she's oh. in great danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it was a really touching it was really touching to get to see his side it of was. that story. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was very poignant. Um, and then, so we're shifting back to Elide's perspective. So the promise, remember this horrible promise that we learned about, and it sort of seems almost mm-hmm. like a prophecy or destiny or whatever that can't be avoided. So we're kind of like in Elide's perspective, we're reminded of this promise um and it's you know we're reminded that all the characters particularly the ones who are guided by the gods and goddesses um are just kind of pawns Mm -hmm. so um this something we're kind of continually reminded through chapters one through 31 is that you know the promise of being an heir of brannon that you know they'll have to die in order to send the gods back to their world so and I do believe we also kind of, I can't remember whose perspective it was from, whether it was um, Elides or Aelin's, but there's this whole, if um, Aelin, it actually reminds me so much of Harry Potter. So, <laughs> sorry, my thinking's a bit disjointed on this right now, but basically like Aelin has to essentially sacrifice herself. That's, that's the deal. Mm-hmm. Unless she you know, isn't able to or whatever, but then Dorian has to sacrifice himself. And it gives Mm -hmm. very Harry Potter versus Neville Longbottom vibes, Mm -hmm. right? Like it could have been, could have been Neville. chosen ones, but then at one point it switches so that there's just the one. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. (laughs) No, you've said from the beginning that, well, not the beginning, but like from the point where there were like solid theories that we could build up to, they were like, this is giving very Harry Potter-ish. So I agree completely. And I think that it is excellent that Elide also points out kind of in her own brain, she's thinking about this whole situation and she's upset about it. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for some, like, obviously they're all like upset, but she's like, what is up with you? You like godlike creatures, whatever you are. This is your mess. Why are we cleaning it up? Yeah. Like, like, seriously. Yes. Finally, someone Alive. asking the hard questions. <laughs> right? He's like, you deal with it. <laughs> very, uh, very relatable response. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I totally understand that Brennan made this promise or this deal with the god creatures so that he could get Erwin gone. Like, so that he could remove Erwin from their world. But... That was something like, like he made that deal. They didn't, for one thing. And secondly, maybe there's another way for them to deal with Erewhon that doesn't require them to use the gods. So, right, the gods are yeah, good point. out of luck. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, it still seems like, obviously, they're willing to go forward with the plan. So they obviously think that this is still the only way to get rid of him. But right. I mean, if you think about it, if they can get rid of him a different way then they don't have to do the promise at all. 
I mean, there's nothing, they won't benefit from it at all. I don't know. We shall see. Stupid gods. <laughs> They're not even Leave real them gods. Alone. They're just aliens from another world who came in and infiltrated and like made themselves into gods in the eyes of the humans of that world. So like we mentioned, Aelin and Fenris are being held captive. And so Aelin has a dream about a white stag burning in a forest. And I think we should really discuss the symbolism of that. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure what that was alluding to. I'm not super big into symbolism. So I don't know what Sarah was trying to get the read. Like, I feel like it's super important, that scene. But I wasn't entirely sure what we were supposed to get out of it. So... This is all just like kind of theories or whatever, but I, mm-hmm. the way I took it while I was reading it, and I might be completely wrong, is, you know, she's she's being tortured and all this stuff's happening and she's not really in control of the situation. Um, and the white stag is very, it's like Terrison's symbol, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually, I was going to say, like, actually, I'm not sure because fire is also very symbolic to her. But the way that this was presented was maybe not like a good thing. <laughs> yes, no, I think it was very damning. And it's like, is this also another one of Maeve's manipulations? Mm-hmm. Is this a dream? Is this her seeing the future? Because we talked about, mm-hmm. sorry, we talked about in previous books that it almost seemed like she had a premonition where she was able to see the future. So is this something like that? Yeah, but we're not really sure because we are also aware that we don't know what's real and we don't know what isn't with Aelin mm-hmm. right now. So if it was a manipulation from Maeve, I feel like it was just a way to reduce Aelin's morale further, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, if if not, then I don't know. But like, it just doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, I think it is ominous for sure. And also something that we should remember because I feel like it's going to make sense. It's one of those things that are going to make sense later. If you take the time to think about it. Yeah. The last thing we sort of learn from this storyline early on is that the whole reason that Maeve has taken Aelin, and this might be super obvious to most people who are reading it, is that she wants Aelin to tell her where the keys are. What I found interesting was she actually wants Aelin to swear a blood oath to her. So the keys part, I totally understood that from the beginning but I was like oh I didn't realize she wanted her to swear the blood oath so Mm -hmm. one if she swears the blood oath then she has to tell her where the keys are so check that box but she also just wants Aelin to be under her control yeah that's scary because she's obviously just looking at Aelin like a weapon and Mm -hmm. can you just imagine the damage that Aelin could do if she was under Maeve's control so that's kind of scary so We move on to Manon and the Thirteen and Dorian. And they're at the western edge of the White Fang Mountains, searching for the third word key. And they're looking for the Croc and Witches as well. And Dorian, like every day, he's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And like he he's becoming quite a, I think, power level force to mm-hmm. be reckoned with. So... I think his character development has been very interesting throughout the series because he kind mm-hmm. of went from just being like this kind of like 
Prince is kind of like partying and hates his dad. And then, <laughs> but then he's, he's grown up so much since then. And particularly after Sorsha was, you know, murdered, but yeah, he's really changed. And I'm actually not too sure what to make of him now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I feel like I don't really know him anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. He, one, seems a lot more powerful than the last time we saw him. And two, seems to just be a little reckless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And willing to do things that I don't think he would have been willing to do previously in yeah, order to kind of reach his end goal. Yeah, he's also uh, become kind of ruthless as well, which is not something we saw from him at all before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that he does early on uh, is he summons Gavin. So this is something we've seen throughout the series is the summoning of um, kind of ancient or um, ancestors. And Gavin... He summons Gavin in order to find out where the third word key is. And I always thought it was very obvious where the third word key is, but apparently not. And we learned several things from this exchange. First, we learned that Gavin is incredibly selfish. He doesn't want them to succeed. He's like very reluctant to help because if they succeed, then Elena is gone. Like right now, she still kind of exists in that um, afterworld because she's able to exist there to help Aelin. However, when the promise is fulfilled, she she's not like she doesn't get to stay there anymore. She her existence is kind of deleted and that was her punishment. Mm-hmm. Is she doesn't get to stay in the afterworld with her family. And so Gavin doesn't want that, so he's like mm. And the next thing we learn is that the sword Damaris is able to tell the truth, which I think was alluded to earlier, but Dorian figures out how it works. If he, if someone is being asked a question and they tell the truth, the sword gets warm. Mm -hmm. And if they're lying, it goes like ice cold. Mm -hmm. So just by like the temperature of the sword, he can tell whether somebody is being truthful or not, which is very helpful. Extremely helpful. (laughs) That gives him a huge edge. <laughs> <That's a word>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so glad you got it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, and so Gavin is like telling Dorian, um, Erwin could be defeated without sealing the gate, but he doesn't say how because he's extremely unhelpful. But I'm kind of wondering mm-hmm. if if they're bound, maybe magically, and prevented mm-hmm. from being able to reveal certain pieces of information. Because these ghosts are, like, seriously not helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he does tell him, like, the third key is in Morath. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was very obvious. Did anyone ever think it wasn't in Morath? Was there ever a point where it was anywhere (laughs) else else but Morath? (laughs) I'm like, is this only me? (laughs) But anyways. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So Dorian plans to fulfill the promise. Mm-hmm. Manon's like, you should fulfill the promise. <laughs> I just, yeah, like, I was surprised that she suggested wow. it because I was like, I kind of thought they were closer than they were. They seem to just be for benefits right now. I was going to say yeah. friends with benefits, but I don't even know if they're friends. I feel like they're just benefits. They're right just now. using each other for yeah release. release, yeah. 
I do think there's something more there, though. Mm-hmm. And but, yeah. as the story, even the part of the story that we read progresses, we get more details on that. But at this point, it's like, oh, okay, no, they're just sleeping together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and anyway, while all this is going on, we are then updated on Kaol, Irene, Nezrin, Sartak, and their allies and armies. And they're still sailing north. And they're currently kind of around Adderlin. Mm-hmm. And Nezrin and Sartak and Falcon go scouting to determine, you know, where they should go, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get an update. I think it might be in Nezrin's perspective as they're like flying or something. She's just thinking back on everything they've been through. And she's thinking about like the big reveal about Maeve. So if you didn't read Tower of Dawn and chose to skip it, then this will be your inter- like your information of, oh, Maeve is actually the queen yeah. of the Valk. By the way. By the way, if you skip that reveal, I feel bad for you because it was because this, yeah, it was epic and Tower of Dawn. This was very much like a oh, yeah, and Mavis Queen, uh, by the way, way. by the way, which it's good to get that reminder, but like it's not like that the way way that it was was revealed, like even if you hate Kaol, okay, (laughs) though that book is worth reading simply for that reveal. Because that, mm-hmm. that's one of the best, and I keep I feel like I keep saying that on this podcast, that's like one of the best reveals I've ever, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. been some pretty good reveals in season one here, I feel, in the books that we've been yeah. reading, but whoa, yeah. like, I did not see that coming mm-hmm. at all. Maeve being no. Valg. And it was just not, so nonchalantly said in this book. I know. It, it's, yeah. Because the author is, you know. Maz is assuming Assumed you read it you already. Read the series like she intended for you to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it makes sense that it's nonchalant here. I just feel it's unfortunate for those people who chose to skip it because the reveal for them is not going to be this epic, epic. moment that it no. should have been. No, but you know, I think I think they're in the mini- minority though. Like I think most people do read it, mm-hmm. whether they're Kaol haters or not. Yeah. <sighs> But anyway, <laughs> I did just speaking on that for a second because we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I did read more about it, and people just think he's boring. They don't actually hate him, or at least that's what I read. It's like I specifically read a post, and then I was like, "Oh, I want to read the thread of this post because it was about like, oh, don't skip Tower of Dawn. Kale's not that bad." Was essentially the post, and then so I was like, "Oh, I want to read the comments to see what people say." Yeah, and like you know, you're getting the back and forth and everyone's like, we don't hate him. He's just boring. He's just like a human in a fantasy world. He's just boring. I'm like, okay, I guess I can give you that. Like, he's not as exciting as the other characters in the story, but I still think he has a lot of value in this story if you're willing to give him a shot. (laughs) (laughs) But the last big news that we get um, sort of getting us up to date with all the characters is... Irene's pregnant. Yeah. What this is not like, okay. When, when I uh, read that, I was kind of like, oh oh, no, because this is a very bad time to get pregnant, Irene. Mm -hmm. And like, she of all people would know how to like take a contraceptive potion or whatever it is that they use. I feel like it is a contraceptive Mm -hmm. potion. Yeah. 
ocean. So what is she doing? What is she doing? It's like she's like in the middle of a war. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is just bad timing. So it just ups yeah. the stakes that it, much more. It certainly does. So now that we're caught up on each of the characters' locations and all the major kind of plot points, like a little mini synopsis overview, at least from, you know, chapters one to six-ish, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to go through chapters 7 to 31, focusing on one group's perspective at a time. And we're going to start with Dorian and Manon. So this, I thought, was like super unexpected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A Stygian spider disguised as a bear. Okay, so like this is unexpected, right? Attacks Manon. And Mm -hmm. I was so roast out oh my god I was it actually makes me feel itchy thinking about it I was so (laughs) grossed out by the visual of this this spider coming out of the bear I was like what is happening here and then and then it's made clear that it shifted back into the spider Mm -hmm. oh that was just like a really nasty visual (laughs) yeah and very unexpected (laughs) yes and this is the spider that um, Manon stole the spider silk from. Mm-hmm. We also find out this is the spider that Falk Falcon traded his life force for the silk. So yeah. in trading the silk, she like got his power. Yeah, she like so, so like I don't know if it's because he's a, a shifter or not, but while doing that magical kind of uh, agreement, she mm-hmm. managed to steal a kernel of power from him. I don't, doesn't sound like it was intentional. It sounds like it just kind of happened, but I'm oh, not okay. sure. But um, her name is Cyrene, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and so, yeah, so now she can shift to whatever form she pleases and she seems to be pretty good at it, but I guess like the spiders are pretty powerful. Hey, so yeah, that must be kind of like why. Yeah. And I was wondering if because she took some of his power, because in Tower of Dawn, we kind of learned that he's not a very skilled shifter, Falcon. And I don't know if it was because he hasn't been shifting very long because he didn't get his powers until after. Like he didn't have them before Hmm. the power was taken. I think he kind of came into his powers later in life, if I'm remembering this correctly. So I don't think he's had much time to practice but also I'm wondering if maybe, and so he can't go into super, super big animals like Lysandra can. Like Lysandra can turn into a waver and she can turn into a sea dragon. Like yeah. she can turn into these massive creatures. Yeah. Whereas he could only get as big as like a wolf or something, like a large wolf. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's because the spider had some of his power. Like if like by her taking it, it kind of made it lesser. That him. I think makes good sense because Lysandra is obviously a very powerful shifter um, mm-hmm. and they're of the same bloodline from what we understand. So I'm just thinking, okay, so because Cyrene took this kernel of power, did it kind of maybe just dilute his powers a little bit? Mm-hmm. He can't obviously access them because he's sharing them with someone else. And does, does that, what, me, what does that mean like in the future? But what I find an, also very interesting is Cyrene seems to have like a pretty good handle on shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so, but, and she's only got a little bit of his power. So I just find that kind but, of interesting. Yeah. Is that because of her innate power as, as a Stygian spider? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind but, of what I'm thinking. So we just don't know enough about the biology of these creatures. No, we don't. <laughs> and so Manon obviously wants to kill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dorian convinces her to keep Cyrene alive and, it's like hinted it's because he wants to learn how to shift so mm-hmm. he can sneak into Morath. Yeah. So he's got the sneaky plan and the spider also s- says that she knows where the croc and witches are. Like she knows that that's who they're looking for and says that she can take them there. And Dorian having the sword who that lets him know if truth is being told knows she does actually know where these crock and witches are. So he's like, she's telling the truth. Like, like I promise she's telling the truth. She can take us to them. And that is what kind of convinces Manon because she wants to find the crock and witches. Yeah. And this seems to be a good way for her to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. the spider holds up her deal. Our Cyrene uh, does take them to a group of crock and witches. Obviously, it's not all of them, but a yeah. coven of witches. <laughs> and the head of this particular coven turns out to be Manon's great-grandmother, mm-hmm. but not from the royal side of the family, from, like, another branch of the family. And her name is Glennis. Yeah. And so we meet her. And another thing that Manon does secretly before they actually go and um, meet up with the Kraken witches is she lures some of the yellow legs to where the Kraken witches are, like kind of has them follow her. And then the yellow legs obviously attack them. And Manon sort of saves the day or her and the 13 end up saving the day with the help of Dorian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Dorian is once he finds out that this was a plan, he is astonished <laughs> at Manon's ruthlessness because some Krakens did die. <laughs> so yeah, that was a pretty intense move. But Manon, I think she even mentions this, that like what she knows how to do is war and battle. And so mm-hmm. in order to gain their trust, she did what she knows best, which is war and battle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very sneaky move, but I understand why she did it. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I necessarily agree with her methods, but it's very in character. Yeah. And so I respect that. Yeah, totally. I like when um, characters stay in character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very uh, consistent. <laughs> <laughs> but so Dorian he kind of learns a little bit about shifting from the spider. I honestly thought what Cyrene had to say was very useless, but it was like, mm-hmm. just be what you want to be. Oh, thanks. Like didn't think yeah. of that. <laughs> I think he gets more from her, from like digging into her magically. Yeah, absolutely. So once he's gotten what he needs from her, he kills her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So this brings the question, like now that Cyrene is dead, Will Falcon be young again? Will he, mm-hmm. will that power that she had go back to him? And like, like, I'm just wondering, like, did, if the Stygian spider does one of these life deals with people, like as they had been doing, does that person have to kill the spider or does the spider just need to die in general? Mm-hmm. I always believe the spider just needed to die in general. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he is going to be young 
But it's like, is it just like instantaneous as soon as she dies? Like he's going right. to shift back into his human form and be 20 years younger. Yeah. So well, I can't wait to go back and or get to the see. next chapter that has him in it to see yeah. where he's at. Is there any difference? Yeah. And mm-hmm. he also, Dorian, that is, he also discovers that the Stygian spiders are Valk. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little disappointed in his reaction to this. He just like doesn't care. He doesn't care to learn anymore. He doesn't question her. He's just like, oh, they're Valgborn. Interesting. And kills her. I'm like, yeah. dude, you could have gotten so much more information. This isn't all about you. Yeah, Dorian, yeah. I feel like he's just gotten to a place where he just doesn't care. Yeah, it's that recklessness. Mm-hmm. He does start practicing his shifting magic. And he's not having much luck with it. He's like sitting around the fire with some of the other 13. I can't remember who it was exactly who was sitting with. And he's like, are my eyes a different color? And they're like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you wasting your time and energy on this? Yeah. Um, but finally, after having a bit of a kind of heartfelt moment, not, like heartfelt's not quite the right word, but like he sort of opens himself up to Manon a little bit. And in opening up, he is then able to change his eye color. So it seems to be more than just like will it into being. It seems like there's like, I don't know, more going on. I think that it has something to do with his own um, kind of beliefs about himself. And I feel like maybe he needs – because the Stygian spider, she was very good at shifting – but she was also very honest about to herself about what she was. Mm-hmm. And I think Dorian is going through some pretty internal, pretty intense internal struggles, especially regarding his identity. Uh, so I think that that probably has a lot to do with his mm-hmm. troubles that he's having with shifting. Cause I think, I think just having read this, the probably key to being able to shift is making peace with who you are. Oh, this is like making me think about like Kale and how he couldn't heal until he made peace mm-hmm. with his past. Yeah. So maybe it's like the same kind of psychological block mm-hmm. happening with Dorian. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of what I was saying. Brilliant. Oh. And uh, so Minon and 13, um, so they find out the Krakens are going south to Elway and they decide to go with them, even though Manon has this, like, she's like, no, we need to go north. But they agree to go south with the Krakens and um, the Krakens hate Manon, right? I mean, mm-hmm. understandable. She's been hunting them for centuries. <laughs> but it's interesting because one of the Kraken witches is standing there watching the, the Wyverns and Abraxas and Asterin's mare are like snuggling mm-hmm. and the Krakens like they're mated and they're like Obviously. what <laughs> what like they're just so like huh and I'm like man you guys are un- so unobservant like because they're just so focused <laughs> on their sort of military ways you know and then mm-hmm. this Kraken is like yeah they're uh they're capable of love like these creatures are capable of love despite having been created by Erewhon Mm-hmm. And so I just find that so interesting that Erewhon could create something that was capable of love. Yeah. 
which brings, I think, into question a lot of sort of um, ethical stuff because <laughs> you can't just be going around killing things. Well, they're created by Erewhon, so they're inherently evil. They may not be as demonstrated by the wyverns. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it also demonstrates to them that just because they are partially Valg doesn't mean that they are evil yeah. and can't have love, which exactly. is something that Astrin has obviously already kind of discovered on her own and Manon is sort yeah. of in the process of discovering. Yeah, but... she realizes it to a certain extent because like when, mm-hmm. when you think about when we first met her and where she is now, like she's compared to when we first met her, she's become a big old softie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So on page 225, the wind keeps kind of singing to Manon, hurry northward and day and night, hurry Blackbeak. And I'm a little concerned about this because they're not going north. They're going south. And so I'm just a little concerned that something bad's going to happen to them. Oh, that is so interesting. I did not pick up on that at all. I was like, oh, it might be nothing. Yeah, no, it might be nothing. But I just got a bad feeling and I was like, uh-oh. Well, we shall see. Because, yeah, something's going to go down in the south. But I was hoping it was going to be a good thing. Yeah. So we kind of alluded to this a bit that Dorian and Manon's relationship is progressing. But at a different pace than I initially thought. Like, I thought that they were already at a place where they were more like starting a relationship. But then Mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the book, we see like, no, it's, they're not really in a relationship of any sort other Mm -hmm. than physically. And then as we get to kind of the end of where we stopped reading, we see that Dorian actually confesses he does care about her. And it's like, this is a big thing. I'm like, oh, I thought they kind of already like established that between each other, but no. Like, this is him, like, really opening up to her being like, I actually care about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, kind of a big deal. And I think at first she's, like, trying to shut it down, but I feel like she won't be able to for too much longer. Yeah. And that's kind of where I think this is going in regards to their relationship. In regards to the whole troop, I don't. I thought, like, positive things were going to come out of the South, but now you have me second-guessing. Well, I hope you're right, and I hope I'm wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be right about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd, make, it'd probably be more interesting if things go south. But Next up, we have Kale, Irene, Nezrin, and Sartak. We'll go through kind of what we learn about them and how their storyline has progressed. Well, scouting... Uh, it was discovered that Erewhon is actually sending forces to Aniel, which is where mm-hmm. Kale is from and where his family is. And the reason for this is that Kale's father uh, refused to uh, bend the knee to take a, a Game of Thrones reference. And yeah, so Erewhon's like, okay, you're not going to follow me. Then I will simply get rid of you. I will just destroy your town and you and just everyone in it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. But it's like <clears throat> chapter 10 or something, and we're already getting like Morath marching in Terrasen, Moran, uh, Morath marching to um, Aniel. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's fast, fast paced, it's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> so the group, which, you know, Sartak and the Rook and. Uh, 
everybody from Antica, I guess. They decide to help in Aniel and then move north inland to meet with the forces of Terrasin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good plan that they, you know, like, yeah. we'll do this little side quest, which will ultimately help because taking out any of Morath's armies is a win. Yes. And then we'll kind of meet up with the people who we were trying to meet up with anyways. Yeah. And I was wondering, because they're going to be near Morath, because Aniel is quite near like Morath, Ferengap, um, Ferengap? Is that what it's the called? The Ferian Gap, yeah. Ferian Gap. Mm-hmm. That area. And we know that Dorian's kind of ultimate plan is he's going to try and get to Morath to get the third key. I'm wondering if those timelines are going to kind of merge and we'll see Kale and Dorian reunited. Yeah. Oh, that would be so cool because they haven't seen each other in ages. Mm-hmm. They were like besties. So yeah. it'd be cool to get that uh, little gang back together. It would. And I mean, Kale's married now. He's mm-hmm. got to introduce his wife to Dorian. Like, I know yeah. they're in the middle of war and it's sort of like the least of their concerns, but <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to see that happen, you know? Yeah. And Kale and Irene end up flying to Aniel via Rook and kind of warn Kale's dad, like, this is coming because they, they have no idea if he's even aware. He is aware, but like, he's not being very proactive about the situation. And in Tower of Dawn, we suspected that Kale's dad might have actually been acting kind of ruthlessly and wanting Kale to return home as protection for him. Like, like he knew yeah. something fishy was going on and maybe this whole time he was actually just trying to protect him. Yeah. And we do find out that is true. However, it's completely selfish reasons. It has nothing to do with actually protecting Kale. It has to do with protecting the Lord Westfall name. And that if something were to happen to him, he wanted Kale to be there to kind of like take his place. Yeah. It was more about securing the future for his lineage than it was about Mm -hmm. caring for his son. (laughs) Yeah. Which was really disappointing. So we finally, well, we kind of have before, but this is like we've heard about Lord Westfall and everything, but we finally actually get to meet him. Mm-hmm. And he's just as much of a jerk as mm-hmm. we are given to believe. <laughs> um, yeah. He's like, so he's really cheap. <laughs> so he's, his whole keep is like falling into disrepair. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks run down and shabby. And Kale is actually embarrassed of the state of it because looking where Irene comes from, well, not from like Fen Harrow, but uh, in Antica, you know, and everything is very um, opulent and luxurious in Antica. And then he's, you know, brings him to this, it's basically a hovel compared to what Irene (laughs) has become used to. And um in my mind, I was envisioning it to be quite dark and dank and shabby and cold and just awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like giving, you know, that tiny little room that they stuck um, Selena slash Aelin in when she was in Mistward. It's yeah. like kind of giving those vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Anyways, he's such a jerk. Lord Westfall is such a jerk to both mm-hmm. Irene and Kaol. And Irene is a little spitfire. So she stands up for herself and for Kaol. And she's like, she's basically telling him, we will, like, I will not tolerate this level of disrespect from you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that Lord Westfall is kind of like grudgingly respecting her for being so 
assertive, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and, but anyway, so Kaol is basically like, well, we're here to just warn you that like Morath is marching on you. And so his dad's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll prepare the city. But it's like <laughs> this whole exchange, you just have to read it because geez. Yeah. It's very telling of his character. And it's like, you kind of feel like, oh, wow, Kale's like really upstanding considering where he came from. Well, and not to mention, like, his dad threw him down the stairs as a child. Mm-hmm. That's just like This guy's a piece of garbage. Who throws a child down the stairs? Mm-hmm. Like, just... Like, what? <laughs> it's like no one in this story can have a happy life. Like, literally no one. No. I'm just, when I read that part, I was like, wow. I had just no words. I was so, like, angry on Kale's behalf. Mm-hmm. One other thing we kind of learn about in this scene, or shortly after, is that there is a dam just up kind of above Aniel or near Aniel and they like had in the past talked about like releasing the dam to give like more water but they re- realized that in releasing it it would just let out so much water so quickly that it would kind yes. of like destroy the city yeah and, like again I feel like this is being mentioned for a reason I'm seeing like a this coming into play in the mm-hmm. middle of like a battle things are going wrong so like yeah or I almost wonder if Aniel will be overtaken by the Valg, and so they release the dam to mm. kill them all. Ooh, that's better. Yeah. Guess we will see. We'll find we out. shall see. But yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking like this dam is sounds like it's got a bad design because like shouldn't it be designed so they can let little bits of water out when they need to? Like, you would think so. My goodness. So I think it will definitely come into play down the line because obviously Maz does not mention details offhandedly. And that is a, I feel could have a huge, huge impact. Like hopefully it's not used against them, but who knows, Mm -hmm. right? Like what if, what if they march on Aniel and they don't even fight, they just release the dam and drown everybody. I never even thought it could be used against them. Oh no. Right. This is like, now this puts like a whole nother level of anxiety. Right. So many different things to consider because like strategically, if the Valk don't care about retaining any human life, that would be what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. If they don't care yeah. about, like, using it as a stronghold. Yeah, if they um, know about it. Yeah. Kaol ends up telling Irene, because she's, like, kind of, like, like, it's it's bewildering, because it's, like, the place looks like it's poor. But he ends up, like, telling her, like, it's not. We've actually got, like, loads of treasure here, but it's hidden. And Aniel is actually super rich, but his father doesn't like to spend his money on, I guess upkeep of the place Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you know he's not gonna waste quote-unquote money on um like decorations it sounds Mm -hmm. like he's very much like is it necessary if not we don't need it kind of thing 
Yeah. If but it's not I'm, completely I'm, broken, then don't mm-hmm. fix it. Like if it's a little broken, that's okay. <laughs> it's still functional. Like as yeah. an example, the room that they assigned to Kale was not the room he grew up in. It was like mm-hmm. reserved for guests. And it's so like the sink is described to be all rusty and it's mm-hmm. tiny and Kale's embarrassed. And I was so like PO'd on his behalf because I was kind of like, like how dare his fault? Fo- like he it, just... <laughs> Regardless of Kale's past decisions, this is his son, and he's still, like, kind of, like, he's the eldest son, too, so he's he's technically still the heir of Aniel, mm-hmm. and he's given this tiny little crappy room. I just, anyway, like, whatever. <laughs> in, the, in the large scheme of things, it doesn't matter, but I just thought, like, it's just another demonstration of his father's um but anyway so i was kind of curious like what's he saving all this treasure for like if they're quite rich like what are they saving the treasure what is i'm just curious like oh Mm -hmm. you know funding for war well war is upon them and this treasure sits uselessly hidden away uh i think it's just like a one of those characters that represents people who have money to have money. Hoarding is wealth. Yeah, they just hoard their wealth because to know that you have a certain amount makes you feel powerful. And I think that's kind of where it is. He's just the kind of person who likes to know he has a certain amount of wealth and can kind of like hold that over people's heads. Oh, that doesn't, that sort of fits with his character. (laughs) So... And then meanwhile, Nezrin and Sartak, they arrive and mm-hmm. with the Rook soldiers and the rest of the Rukin's uh, foot soldiers, uh, they're on their way. But the Rook who fly, they settle. It's like, sounds pretty impressive. They like settle into like very organized like rows and everything. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this would make such a great like show series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like, we are bound to get some wavern on rook action happening in this battle i feel like it would be a letdown if we didn't i i'm wondering we are so close to the witches i'm scared for the rook because the Mm -hmm. wyverns are they're basically dragons without front legs right so it's kind of like yeah (laughs) Uh i feel like we're supposed to like believe that even though the rook are like essentially large eagles like, they're supposed to be, like, super vicious. Like, I bet their talons are, like, brutal. They could probably, their talons yeah. could probably just, like, decimate yeah. a wyvern's, like, throat area. Yeah, exactly. Just, and that's safe yeah. for the wyvern. Yeah, that would make sense. So I think they will, I think Sarah has written them in such a way that they are supposed to be equally as strong. Like, they, yeah. they're fighting equals yeah, is my hope. Because, yeah, if it's just, like, one is way more powerful than the other, then that's just sad. Yeah. And I mean, I think in Tower of Dawn, it was made pretty clear the Rook Riders are sort of like legendary. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, and yeah. they battle too. Like, yeah. well, and the witches do as well. So it'll be like the people battling on top and then the animal. Yeah. Yeah. It can be pretty Intense. epic if it's done well. Yeah. So moving on to Adion, Lysandra, and like their allies and armies and stuff. So they end up winning the battle against some, there's some Valg foot soldiers that they are fighting, but it's clear that it's just Erwin trying to just kind of wear them down and 
which is <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, what is to come? Yeah. As we mentioned before, Terrison is still being ruled by the lords. So mm-hmm. after they end up winning this battle with Morath, because it was, you know, it's just like a piddly little thing to yeah. get intel or whatever, wear them down. After that, Darrow actually calls them back to mm-hmm. kind of just further back north towards uh, the capital. And yeah. they have to listen because it's a demo- like a democracy. Yeah. And they fall back and the Darrow would like the Lords to return to Ornth and kind of just like secure the city. And it's like the dam with her, like be damned to the rest of Terrace and like, we'll just secure the city and make yeah. sure no one gets through and kind of more of siege. And Adion's like, no, we need to take them south to the borders and we need to protect our borders. Mm-hmm. And so they have to meet Dara where he's camped in order to like have a discussion about what, what are they going to do? Dara's the worst. I hate that guy. He's like ruining this. He's like yeah. making this so much more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. It's just, he's just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> And then we've we've also got this tension between Lysandra and Adion continuing, but she tries to speak to him. I think mm-hmm. she kind of loves him, you know. And yeah. um, she's like, you know, like, because he's like just doubting everything between them. So she's like, no, like it was real for me kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I'm doing this for Aelin and I would do it again. And yeah. Adion's like, mm. like... <laughs> I mean, but like, if the roles were reversed, he would too, which is the frustrating thing. It's like, I understand completely why he's hurt, but he would do the same thing in her position, a hundred percent without question. And so I think it's a little unfair that he's still mad at her. Like I can understand being mad at first, but like, I feel like he's kind of needs to get over it because Lysandra's amazing. Yeah, she is. She's incredible. She's like my favorite. But <laughs> so so they're having this like meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to meet to decide, like essentially vote. So they go have a back and forth about like, oh, we should do this because we should do this because, and then they vote at the end. However, more lords are on Daro's side still. Mm-hmm. If Allied was there. And Aelin were, well, I guess Aelin is there in Lysander form. But if Elide was there, I think they mm-hmm. would, like, she would be a tiebreaker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But because she's not there, then the lords who are backing Darrow have more votes at this point in time. So they vote to have the Bane and then therefore all the allies, because they just follow the Bane where they go, uh, to return to the capital and just set up for a siege. Yeah. And that's disappointing extremely but during this meeting there's a little surprise visitor i know i so love this so we we uh see Knox, and we kind of saw him a little bit earlier in the story and uh he has been a spy for terrison the whole time so for those who don't remember Knox is one of the individuals who were like fighting in the championships in throne of glass so that mm-hmm. first big championship to become King's champion, he was like um, 
Selena's biggest ally. I think mm-hmm. he was he the one who like knew about all about poisons and stuff. I think so. Yeah. It turns out he has been a Terrasin spy the entire time. And the person he was kind of like the spy for has um, since passed. So now he, I believe, works for Daro. And he comes into the tent and he sees Miss Lysandra dressed in Aelin's skin. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I recognize you, girl. Yeah. And we're like. Oh my goodness. Nail biting. I was just like, this is it. This is it. We're done. We're done. The whole plan. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. But then kind of like, uh, simultaneously, I feel like a valve yeah. shows up. Yeah. He lets the valve in at, like, cause it's this messenger. He, but he doesn't right. realize it's a valve. He's like, yeah. Oh, there's a messenger here. He's like the person letting them in. Yeah. And oh yeah, it's just crazy. Actually, It's so crazy. <laughs> the valve, like, Consensus, not Aelin as well. So now there's two people who know that Lysandra is not Aelin and the Valg is like about to say something. And he like sends this sort of like magical message to Erewhon. His eyes go all black and it's like him telepathically speaking to Erewhon and they're like, "Ah." so creepy. Yeah. Oh my God. As he's about to like verbally say what's going on, Lysandra's like, kill him. Yeah. And so. He gets, I don't know, beheaded they or have something. Like a, they have like a fight though. Um, yeah. Because he attacks. And this was nerve wracking because it's like Aelin would just incinerate his ass, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not Aelin. Yeah. She can't. Lysandra so, doesn't have Aelin's powers. Yeah. And I'm just like, wouldn't the lords be like, why didn't you just kill him yourself? Like, why are you? So, but Well, this anyway. whole time it's like, it's been two months. Why have you not used your powers once? Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of, it's, un, yeah, it feels like it's getting close to people finding out for sure kind of thing. So mm-hmm. now Erewhon knows that Aelin is not in Terrison. Mm-hmm. He knows it's an imposter. So this is like not good because obviously that leaves Terrison very like vulnerable without even the threat of the Firebringer there, right? Yeah. Um, but he spoke to Lysandra so Knox is very perceptive and he notices like he, he was a very formidable competitor in the King's champ championship. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is for a reason. And I'd like to believe that it's because he's also an assassin. So he's very like, he just notices details. Uh, and he would have been studying all of his competitors and throne of glass and really getting to know them, like probably looking for tells and stuff like that. Mm hmm. So he's able to tell that Lysandra is not Aelin. And he kind of calls her out on it. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I am Aelin. But <laughs> mm-hmm. he knows she's not, regardless of what she says, right? Yeah. So anyways, Adion, meanwhile, is like, this is an unacceptable course of action, referring back to Daro's plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and basically what ends up happening, they end up, spiking some wine and making mm-hmm. sure all these guys drink it and then they fall asleep and then Adion's like I'm taking my bane and we are going to do what I think is the correct thing to do and yeah. he basically like leaves Daro and his other I guess commanders there just like unconscious and when they wake mm-hmm. up the whole army is gone <laughs> and they're yeah. just like left there alone in the snow <laughs> yeah that was a badass move 
And I think because like Knox says to Lysander, like, I know who you are. I'm not going to say anything. Selena Aelin was my friend. And because he's the like master of poisons, I think he helps them to yeah. knock everyone out, but like not yeah. enough that it's going to harm them. So I think no. his skills come in handy with helping yeah. them with their plan. Yeah. I kind of feel like it would have been helpful for them all to be assassinated at this point. Cause it's like <laughs> they, they are, you know, they don't see Aelin as queen, but yeah, obviously that could cause some serious problems back in Terrison. So <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it's best Terrison. that they just leave him un- un- unconscious, but uh, Lysandra turns back into Lysandra and like Aelin just disappears for a little bit and she's scouting. And so she flies ahead quite, quite a ways ahead and sees a, massive army like the army that they fought before was just like a tiny little baby army this one is huge Fifty thousand troops because ren taught her how to like properly count armies Fifty thousand mm-hmm. troops flying ilkin as well as five velg princes oh, are coming straight for them mm-hmm. and they meet yeah and it's disastrous so where we left off they were in the middle of this fight and being destroyed yeah wolf tribe where are you (laughs) (laughs) yes maybe this is where the wolf tribe comes in because like i don't understand how they're getting out of this i haven't read any for like this is where i have stopped in their storyline i have no idea how they're getting out of this I'm assuming they have to get out of it. They're not just going to wipe out all of her allies before she even gets back to them. Like, What if they do? What if they do? That would suck. I don't think I would like that. Well, I've heard this is a real gut-wrenching read. I feel like that's too many people to wipe out. Like, Obviously, even if they get destroyed, not everyone's going to die. But I think they will lose a significant portion of their armies. And their allies and all that. Yeah. I think it's going to be a huge hit, but I do think like our key players will survive this one. Maybe we'll lose like some kind of like Ren or somebody who's like important, but not like key. If that makes sense. I I feel bad saying that about him, but like, it's like, we like him, but like, he's not one of the main characters. We'll be like, oh, that sucks, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, too bad. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm worried for this group. Um, this one for me wasn't the most exciting storyline up until this point. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're like the backbone of the story. Like they're holding the fort down and kind of taking all the hits. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more to come from them. I so agree. I don't think they're going to be completely wiped out. I completely agree. I was a bit bored by this storyline, although it's very necessary. Um but coming from other storylines where, you know, this, this storyline is more like positioning armies and, and like tactical war stuff. And mm-hmm. then the, yeah. And, and anyway, it's not my most favorite thing to read about, but it's very important, obviously. Yeah. yeah it's the grueling reality of war, but not yeah. what we came to the fantasy book for. <laughs> right. Moving on to Rowan, Gabriel, Lorcan, and Allied story and kind of picking up where we left off from the beginning. They are given to, so they've been hunting down 
people to try and gather information. And at this point, they kind of have two options of where to go. They're get, given conflicting information about where they might find Maeve and therefore Aelin. Option one, go to Doranel. They're not very close to Doranel. They're like a week or something out or two weeks maybe. Like they're they're far away from Doranel. The second one is some sort of like desert city. I think they give us the name. I'm not 100% sure, but they're very close to this city. That mm-hmm. was like the second option. Mm-hmm. Allied votes Doranel. She was told by her little god to like really listen to like the person who they were getting information from. And she gets the sense that Aelin is in Doranel. Like that's mm-hmm. what her gut's telling her. And we know that Allied's gut is like to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Lorcan votes we're really close to this other city. It'll be three days. Let's pop in, check it out, get some more information. And if not, then we can go to Dornell. And just from a strategic point of view, they decide that that is the better option. So Rowan decides to go check out this desert city. So they go. I was so annoyed by that because like they just ignore a lie. And she literally has like a goddess speaking to her. Mm-hmm. And I think she even tells them, like, the goddess mm-hmm. said this. And they're like, let's go to this desert city. And I'm like, why are you ignoring her? And then she turned out to be right. And, like, seriously, she. So disappointing. I'm really annoyed on her behalf here. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up kind of as they're heading in the wrong direction, um, <laughs> Rowan feels a pulse of Aelin's power. And then he's like, Oh, she's in Doranel. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And anyway, so then they're like, well, we need to figure out a plan to draw Maeve away from Doranel, away from Aelin, right. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was just so frustrated by that whole thing that they wouldn't listen to Elide. I know. It's like, why did you bring her if you're not even going right? to listen? I mean, I don't think they had a choice. I think she's just like, I'm coming. Told the witches to drop her off and was like, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> so they were kind of stuck with her, but like for a reason. She's there for a reason. She's such a fighter. She is. And she kind of is like their little gopher, like because everyone knows who they are. So like she has to basically do everything. Yeah, so it's like exactly. she's the one who ultimately like sets up this plan to lure Maeve away. And she's the one who agrees to go into the city. So they get mm-hmm. to the outskirts of Dornell. A it is surrounded by armies. Yep. Because Maeve has set up a protection against the city. Mm-hmm. And Elide decides to sneak into the city to get inf- information on if Maeve has truly left and on where Karen is. Because yeah. obviously they know that um Aelin is going to be with Karen if Maeve has left the city. Yes. So she's like a little force and just tots right in there. Yeah, she's she's uh, very good at acting. And she ends up meeting SR, which is she finds out that she was a previous lover of Lorcan's. And when she mm-hmm. first sees SR, she is like, she calls her a dark eyed or dark haired beauty. She's just mm-hmm. like stunningly beautiful. And when she realizes that she's one of like Lorcan's past lover, she's kind of like, Hello. you can like sense that she's like, <laughs> how could he go from this to me mm-hmm. kind of thing. Being right? a little self-conscious. <laughs> kind of sad. And yeah. um, anyways, so like 
also she's Faye, obviously. She's in Dornell, right? And yeah. you know, Faye are very just innately graceful and everything. So yeah, Lolide is feeling some insecurities, but she's pretty focused on her task. It's sort of like a side note in her mind, feels like. So SR and this other female Faye, they're kind of like standing in this group. And clearly like Elide is watching them and she sees the other female Faye must be like their commanding officer or something. Like she's clearly like the lead of the group. Anyway, so she kind of creates this plan to like, play like Karen's scorned lover like oh I was supposed Mm -hmm. to meet him here where is he oh I'm all Mm -hmm. sad that he ghosted me basically but anyways her plan kind of like works in a way that she didn't really expect because she's like oh I'm gonna go try somewhere else so she's like looking at her little compact mirror in an alleyway and then SR sneaks up behind her and she's like what Mm -hmm. are you doing kind of thing and then they end up finding out that they're kind of like on the same side of things so SR and her sister give Elide like all the information that she needs. So Elide sneaks back out and goes back to the boys and lets them know that Karen is in the Eastern camp. And so they're Mm -hmm. like, okay, wherever Karen is, Aelin's probably going to be there too. So they make a plan to attack at dawn the next morning. Yeah. So just before dawn, Rowan ends up getting kind of like a the voice of Mala in him. And I don't think he often hears Mala, but because she is like Aelin's protector, she's like, go now. And he's like trying to kind of fight it because he's like, they set up this plan and he likes to stick to plans, I think. He's the kind of person. But he's like, no, I can't ignore this. I need to go. So he chooses to trust in this voice of Mala and starts to like enact the plan. He doesn't necessarily change the plan. He just starts it early. So yeah. he's going to go to the camp. And then once he has either Aelin or Karen, because if Aelin's not there, then the plan is to get Karen to torture him for information. Once he has his target, then he's going to send a pulse to Lorcan and Gabriel to create a diversion so he can get his target out. So he's heading in towards the like tent that he thinks is going to house the person he's looking for. And Gabriel and Lorcan are waiting on the outskirts to create his signal. Yeah. And that's kind of where we end off their storyline for now. Mm -hmm. So now we're switching over to Aelin and Fenris point of view. Um, So kind of like rewinding a bit. So Aelin and Fenris are brought to Maeve and It's interesting because, so she's unable to like, she's in a very compromised position. She's got like this mat, this horrible iron mask on. She's like, is she in the um, sort of iron coffin at this point? I think right now when she's being brought to Maeve, like she's walking Walking to Maeve. So she's not in, she's like kept in this, um, the coffin when she's not being tortured. Right. Essentially. (laughs) I laugh. And she's not being actively tortured. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a throwback to Throne of Glass. Uh, if you remember uh, in Dovier, she would be blindfolded and then be walking through the mines, but she would count her steps and keep like 
track of the turns they made and kind of be mapping things out in her mind because she's brilliant. So she's doing the same thing here. And that was a nice callback. This is completely not to do with this particular storyline, but every time Maeve is mentioned, it also mentions like an owl by her. And this mm-hmm. goes all the way back to the first meeting in um, Arifire. And I can't remember if we know who the owl is. Like, is the owl a healer that she keeps next to her? Or oh. is it just an owl? Like, I don't remember if we know this information. Oh. And it just kept popping up. And like, every time the owl came up, I was like, who is this owl? Yeah. And I couldn't we remember. Need to, I'm sure we'll find out because it's being mentioned aggressively, aggressively. <laughs> in the story. <laughs> so, and yeah, in this scene, it's mentioned again. And it just reminded me, I like needed to ask you, do you know? But yeah. I'll have to and see. So Fenris has a brother and... His name is, I guess, Connell. I'm, I'm guessing at that pronunciation. But um, so the reason Fenris has a blood oath in the first place with Maeve was to, I think, protect his brother from it. Yeah. But he ends up confronting Fenris. So this was like, Aelin was brought to Maeve and Fenris was brought to Maeve. And like, there's, she's got Connell there. And he basically like tells Fenris like he's disappointed in him. And then she mm-hmm. made like forces Connell to take his own life in front of Fenris and Aelin. Like it was cruel and unusual torture to say the mm-hmm. least, like just brutal. Cause there's nothing they can do. Like Fenris is sworn to his blood oath. He can, can't do anything except for stand there and watch his brother die basically. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So disturbing. It was. And it's like the most horrific thing she could do because she knew that Fenris would rather like like his life be taken. Mm-hmm. So it's like way more of a punishment is to like have like because that's like the whole thing. Like he went there to save his brother. He wanted to protect him. And then she forces him to witness his brother's death at his own hands. Like, oh my goodness. This woman has like the like perfect ability to inflict the most pain possible yes yeah she goes for their vulnerabilities for sure and so Aelin's like being forced to kneel in this dragon glass which is cutting her knees up so this whole interaction that they are going through and she takes the opportunity to try and attack Karen and Maeve. So she takes the glass and she like gets in a few punches of Karen and he's kind of down for a second. And then she takes one of the glass pieces and cuts Maeve. And by then Karen has kind of secured her again, but she looks at Maeve and sees she's cut her cheek and black blood is dripping out of the wound. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at this point we know she's Valg. But Aelin doesn't. She hasn't mm-hmm. gotten that information. And because, like, instantly it turns to red. Like, mm-hmm. pretty not instantly, but, like, within seconds it turns to red. And Aelin's like, oh, like, am I just, like, seeing things? She's like, questioning she everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of all of the manipulations Maeve has been placing on her and she's not sure what is reality and what isn't. So, although she's, like, she saw the black blood, she's like, wait, is that real or... Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's just like, she can't get past this cycle. Like she's, yeah. 
And then, and then Maeve tells Aelin that spies have seen Aelin and Rowan and Terrison. This is a huge blow to Aelin's morale because Mm -hmm. she's been holding on to this hope that Rowan's going to come and save her. But now hearing that he's in Terrison, she's like, that was a big turn turning point in her psyche in this, in, in these chapters that we've read so far. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. My instant thought was, is this, is May flying? Did they yeah. see a Lynn and know that she's being like, there's an imposter posing as a Lynn and then take that information and also just say that Rome was there to mess with her? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, like, he's obviously not there. So, <laughs> I no, guess I think, I think May's. I think Maeve must have known that Aelin would be hoping that Rowan was coming for her. And mm-hmm. she just wanted to make her lose every sliver of hope that she possibly could because Maeve is hoping to get break Aelin her. to do what she wants, right? Yeah, break her. Mm-hmm. So then there's this extremely heartbreaking scene where both Aelin and Fenris are in mourning. Mm-hmm. Poor Fenris. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, he's like obviously devastated at the loss of his brother. And Aelin is devastated at seeing him devastated mm-hmm. and also devastated that Rowan might not be coming mm-hmm. or isn't. They literally were presented before Maeve so Maeve could just destroy them. Destroy them. Yeah. Like their souls. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, so at this point, as one might expect in this situation, Aelin starts to lose hope. Like, for the first time, I think she's been so strong through this whole process. Yes. And I think for the first time, she really, truly starts to lose hope. And she gets visited by her mom. And her mom comes and tells her that it is the strength of this that matters, Aelin. And this made me wonder if something that happens to her during this like torture and then kind of being rebuilt essentially by Mm because healers come in after every torture and like fix her up. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's something that happens to her physically through this experience that is going to be the key to her survival in the end, like not just her surviving Maeve, but like something's going to physically happen to her that makes her able to either bypass the promise or I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I feel like this is alluding to like this needed to happen to you in order for what is going to come to be successful. Right. Oh, okay. I completely didn't think of that at all. And I love that so much. Um, so yeah. So when she starts, so like, because there's this really, uh, so then she starts to repeat to herself, like, you do not yield, you mm-hmm. do not yield. And then like, as she's doing that, she starts like, punching the sarcophagus. And so I wanted to know what your opinion was on this because like, clearly she's hit, hitting it with like this unearthly type of strength she -hmm. actually warps the lid and they start to kind of panic outside because it's it's like she's coming out 
Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, like, how is this possible? Because she's got this iron everywhere and it's diminished all of her power. So how has she... How? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's just to show us how powerful she is as a person, even without her powers. Because, like, essentially her power should be muted at this point. Like, they mm-hmm. were, like, put on pause. So I think it just says, like, shows just, like, when she is inspired or like has like internal strength that is like enough that she can do these impossible things so it's not just that she's powerful because of magic she's just a powerful being yeah because i'm not even sure i was like i was like man if her if her power has been like power she's she's also weak even though that the healers are preventing her muscles from atrophying Mm-hmm. She's not using them, so she feels physically weaker. So for her mm-hmm. to do this, I was like, whoa, like this really speaks to something deeper and yeah. more intrinsic, I feel. Uh, so I was just thinking, yeah, I was just curious to know what your thoughts were on that. And I really liked what you had to say. Oh, thank you. But And she does end up sending out like a magical pulse, like the one at Skulls Bay. So like through her physical actions, she does somehow em- emanate a magical burst. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the and burst that's, that Rowan had saw. That's exactly that's felt. what he had felt. So perfect. That was good. Aelin is in a beautiful glen, and you can tell it's a vision that Maeve is forcing upon her. And um, Maeve has made it so that Aelin, you know, it's sort of like everything that has happened hasn't happened. And, oh, she's just her auntie Maeve, and they're really happy. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we get the story of Maeve and where she came from and how she's like a Val queen, basically. So um, this, I loved this part because it Mm -hmm. like gave some real insight of like what Maeve is doing here and why Erewhon is pursuing her and um, everything. It was just like really good to finally hear that. Mm -hmm. So it almost then, makes her a sympathetic character. I know. For a moment. And so just for a moment, because I was actually like, as I was reading this, I was like, why is Maeve fighting so hard against all these people when she could rally everybody to just stop Erwin? But then it's like, but Maeve is evil. Look at the horrible psychological torture that she's inflicting upon like everyone. And like, mm-hmm. she's a bad, like a, she's bad. So yeah. Like, you can sympathize with certain parts of her history, but but her, like, current ways of doing things, like, she's just bad. She's mm-hmm. a villain. So, she's also, there was a quote, she said, like, not in the dark, blasted realm in which they live, but worlds beyond that, living on top of one another, another and never realizing it. I was like, okay, so... Like, we know they're from different realms, but to me, it's like, is this a character actually acknowledging and confirming multiverses in uh, Sarah's series? Mm -hmm. So I was like, whoa, because that hasn't been done before. Yeah, I think it's been alluded to, but I think this is the actual acknowledgement that, yes, like, because we obviously knew there were different worlds, because, like, there's portals and you can travel, like, from the first book, Throne of Glass, it talked about portals to other worlds. 
but just the the layering on top of one another kind of takes it to that next level. Of yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. Ultimately, Maeve is using this story to try and get Aelin to say where the keys are. So at one point in the story, like she's like, oh, and this the keys are hidden, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, where are the keys, Aelin? Because like Maeve in this kind of fake world storyline always questions Aelin and like she's basically her like teacher, her mentor. And so she's like trying to like question her about the story and get her to think about the story critically and like, oh, where would the keys have been hidden? But really it's just her in the real world trying to say, where are the keys hidden? And yeah, but Aelin realizes it's not real and it's just one of Maeve's tricks. So she eventually kind of sees through the facade of it. And I think she notices like her scars are gone. And she, mm-hmm. and that triggers something in her mm-hmm. and she's like, nope, this isn't mm-hmm. real. Yeah. And so she tells Maeve like, no. And then that's the end of that. And it's not very mm-hmm. happy ending for Aelin because <laughs> that Maeve didn't like that. So back in reality, Maeve then tells Aelin like she's like learned the location of an, another wordstone collar. And so she's going to go get it and put it on Aelin. Mm-hmm. And so Aelin, in the meantime, is going to be moved to a new location. So they put her in her sarcophagus that has been reinforced. reinforced. <laughs> and she ends up waking up in a tent. And Karen wants to torture her one final time before Maeve puts the collar on. And so he plans on burning her. And mm-hmm. so this is so crucial because he's going to take fire which is obviously an intrinsic part of her and make her afraid of it. Yeah. This is, well, one, I'm surprised I didn't think of it earlier, but two, absolutely disturbing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness, this guy, he needs some therapy. <laughs> I don't, I think he's beyond that. I think he's a, yeah, a lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> he's honestly. probably like someone who has no empathy and like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he Obviously. like literally gets off from hurting other people. Oh. And, and she, yeah, you say it. Okay. And she actually taunts him about that and mm-hmm. uh, like looks at his region to make her mm-hmm. taunting clear. Like, yeah, I am talking about that. Like you, you're probably one of those people who can't make things happen unless you're hurting somebody. And mm-hmm. boy, that sends him into a rage. And yeah. it's true. It, well, it's 100% true. And she picked up, I feel like she picked up on that earlier mm-hmm. and then is using that because she's like, if I'm about to get a wordstone collar put on me, I would rather I need to die. be done. Well, so she would be, she would be a tool for me, mm-hmm. a weapon, right? Yeah. So it would be better be if she It'd be the same as, uh, yeah. as giving the oath. Yeah. So she decides she's going to just taunt Karen into a situation where he like accidentally kills her. Yeah, And that's kind of what her plan is. And it leads to them fighting. But Fenris is watching this fight because he has to go along for all of this. He's being forced by the oath to watch everything that happens to her. So he was also taken to the camp. And he can't stand it any longer. He's like having this internal struggle. And he's like, I don't care if this kills me. I am not standing by any longer. And he breaks the oath to attack Karen so she can get away. Yeah, and it's not just a simple matter of like, I've decided I'm going to break the oath. It's very physically hard to break the oath. And if the person 
who, who uh, gives the blood oath to like Maeve breaks it, they die. Mm-hmm. And um, like Maeve has to release them from the oath in order for them to be able to live. And it's still very painful. But if that particular being breaks the oath and they, I, it seems to me that they have to be very, very, very strong willed in order to make this happen. Like you can't, you could probably try to break it, but you just can't. Mm-hmm. Or maybe your own, the pain of it stops um, the Fae, I guess, or whoever she's trying to get the blood oath sworn by. <laughs> yeah. Stops them. Well, he fights through that and he breaks that blood oath. So now he's kind of on like a countdown to mm-hmm. dying. I wonder if the death of his brother in a way gave him the strength to, because yeah. he like, one is like, my brother's dead. I, what do I have to live for? Yeah. So I'm not afraid of dying now, but yeah. also kind of just the heartbreak that he went through seeing that. Maybe he's like, I've already experienced the most excruciating thing I can go through. And so then, like, what's this? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, it was so intense. So then, you know, because Aelin and Karen have been fighting and, but what actually uh, triggered Fenris into being able to do that, break the oath, was Karen threw Aelin against like a dresser. And I mm-hmm. guess she made like this really helpless, defeated little sound. And mm-hmm. him like, you know, hearing that, like she's she's been so strong. And then to hear her make like such a, I want to say like vulnerable sound of defeat, he mm-hmm. was just like, uh-uh. And then he broke the oath and then he attacked Karen. It was right. very like, oh my goodness. And also as the reader hearing that Aelin makes this helpless defeated sound, it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. So because of Fenris, Aelin is able to book it out of there. Like he tells her, run, run, yeah. right? So she runs and she ends up running right for Lorcan's location. And so <clears throat> Lorcan sends a magical pulse to let like Rowan and Gabriel like, hey, like this is where Aelin is. <laughs> yeah. And any face soldiers in her way, she is just decimating them. And Lorcan is like, he's in awe of her mm-hmm. fighting. Because yeah. this is actually kind of satisfying because like they know she's like badass with her wildfire and stuff, but they haven't really seen her in action with all of her assassin skills. Plus mm-hmm. when she's in fae form, which makes it even more extreme and fast and intense. Mm-hmm. So when he sees her in action, he's like, Whoa, like, yeah, I, I feel to impress people- Lorcan. It would have to be pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I feel as though some people who are reading might be like, this is so unrealistic. She's just being trapped for, two months, like no one would get up. But I think that's the point is that even being tortured, she is still this strong after Mm. not being able to train for two months and being tortured for two months. This is her at her low point. This is what she Yeah. So imagine what she's like at full strength, right? Mm -hmm. But she, uh, from her perspective, um, it's interesting seeing her perspective and then Lorcan's perspective, because from her perspective, she's very tired and fatigued and her legs feel like lead and she's having to like run up and down these hills and it's very hard for her. Mm-hmm. But from Lorcan's perspective, she is like, she's just like death on wheels kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So Aelin, Gabrielle, Lorcan, and Rowan have all now met. And the they've come together and Aelin just keeps saying Fenris and indicating that he's still in the camp. Mm-hmm. So like, despite she everything, points, she's like, just gone. Fenris. Yeah. Yeah. Like- that's like the only thing on her mind right now is like get him out. So Lorcan takes her to where Elida's hiding and Gavriel and Rowan go back for Fenris and Rowan ends up completely just torturing Karen. And I'm like, uh, part of me is like a little sad that he had to like do that. Well, he didn't have to, but like he chose to do that. But of course he did. Like I think everyone expected it. But the most satisfying part of that is how we are informed that Karen ends up wedding himself when he realizes what's about to happen. How dare he, too? He, like, inflicts this torture on other people, and then he has the audacity to wet himself before he gets tortured? Like, come on. I'm sorry. That is just... just shows, like, how weak he is as a person. Yeah. So... Meanwhile, Aelin, like, she still has the chains on, the mask on and everything. And then there is just this really intense moment where she's like, take it off, take it off. And they can't get the mask off because the lock is so intricate. And Mm -hmm. they can't, like, she managed to um, free her hands from being chained together by very skillfully timing the strike of one of her opponents as she was running out. And then they cut right through the chains. But obviously you can't do that so close to your head. So... Mm -hmm she's like having a huge panic and she's just screaming over and over again, like, take it off, Mm -hmm. take it off, take it off. But she ends up actually kind of figuring out for herself. Good Lord. Like, can you imagine she's just panicking, but then she figures it out because no one else can. They're all like, I don't know how to take it off. They're trying to help her, but she's like, I guess I'll just be the answer to everything once again. And so she remembers she uh, knows all those word marks from back in Throne of Glass. And so she knew how to unlock doors. So she's able to like sort of draw a word mark in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, they realize like, oh, okay. So Rowan is able to like use, is it his blood to draw yeah, the word mark? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On, on the shackles. And then they, they come undone. So then it's like, oh, good. So then he's like, I know the word mark. So then he does it on the mask and the mask comes off. finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her, they can't use her blood because it was specifically magic to not work with her blood, or yeah. else she would have just set herself free a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> but Aelin examines her body once she's out of the mask and realizes that all of her scars are gone. Every mm-hmm. single one. Her skin is like brand new, fresh skin. And that's because it literally is, because the healers have had to regenerate her skin. So mm-hmm. what that means is she was so badly tortured that they literally had to remake her skin all of her skin is nailed and mm-hmm. so when she she ends up surrounding herself by fire because oh something we hadn't mentioned that was really uh another form of torture for Aelin something we hadn't mentioned was her power was building up because remember in Skull's Beige like she she signaled but she, it, they also explained like she has to release her power mm-hmm. um and she hasn't been able to do that for months and so her power is building up. She's surrounding herself by a shield of fire. And then she goes to be with Fenris, who's basically laying there dying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and she's totally naked. And Rowan is looking at her and how like all of the scars are gone. And he realizes what that means. Like what you just said, like 
every mm-hmm. inch of skin has had to be made brand new, which speaks to the extent of the torture she's gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't hear what Aelin's saying, but they see that Aelin makes Fenris swear a blood oath to her and her mm-hmm. command to him is to live. Oh, and I was like, just like, oh, oh my God. I thought when this moment was happening, they could see her mouthing the word like live, live. I was like, oh no, he's going to die. Yeah. But then he didn't. He lived, which I I 100% thought like there's no way they can get out of this. Like he sacrificed himself. It was a worthy sacrifice. It was heartbreaking but it made sense. And then they found that little loophole and I was like, Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. Oh, it was a very touching moment. Yes. And from that moment on Fenris is like Aelin's little body guard dog. And, and he mm-hmm. has been the whole time. He's just like continuing what he's been doing for the last two months. And like, she keeps him in her little flame bubble and they just kind of walk side by side and in the distance, they see the little folk like beckoning yeah. them, like come this way. Yeah, I don't think the little folk talk, but they were like beckoning them to come. And as they're walking and following the little folk, we hear about another forest creature called forest spirits, and they're ethereal beings that are more ancient than the little folk. And I was like, mm. oh, that's a curious little tidbit of information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and something so new to be introduced in the last book of the series as well. Yeah, so I can't wait to learn more about them. <laughs> yes. And they end up being brought to a cave. Mm-hmm. So and so I'm... Aelin, and she's like naked. Yeah. Because, um, but anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but just setting the scene for you. She doesn't care that she's naked. Like that's how, mm-hmm. like where her psyche is at the moment. Mm-hmm. So she seems to be kind of like in a trance and then she's like, the little folk brought me here. This is probably safe. So then she kind of curls up on the floor of the cave and goes to sleep. Mm -hmm. But I just, yeah, I'm concerned for her. Yeah, I'm very concerned for her psychological and mental like well-being. And I think that there's going to be some hurdles that need to be kind of jumped over. As you do yeah. hurdles. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not entirely, like, I'm assuming that this group is eventually going to make their way to Terrison. I feel like that's got to be what's next for them. But I mean, I like, I just need them to get back to Terrison for my own well-being. Because <laughs> I mean, every time we get to the Idian Lysandra storyline, I'm like in a panic that mm-hmm. everything's falling apart and right. that she needs to be there. So I hope that's where they go next. Well, I would think that that would make sense, that that's where they would go next from what we know so far, just because they have positioned Aelin Aelin Lysandra strategically Mm -hmm. in Terrison. So you would think that they would then bring the real Aelin to Terrison, especially knowing what Morath is doing and stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is whether she can handle jumping into a war. Yeah. We did talk about the wolf tribe and how we thought maybe they would come to save the Terrasin armies and everything. Another thing that came up was when Rowan and his group went to that desert city, one thing that kind of was mentioned about that area is that there used to be dragons there. 
and that Maeve had like wiped out the dragons there. And it does specifically say that the dragons will not be seen again, but I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I guess it makes sense that Maeve would wipe out dragons considering Valg and fire do not go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But it would be really cool if we were to see some dragons in this story. And I don't know how that would fit in, but it would be really cool. Another thing that kind of pops up just randomly kind of throughout is that Dorian questions his brother's kind of conception. And we've talked about this previously as well. And he brings up like, is there something innately Valg within Holland, who is his brother, because he was conceived while his dad was under Valg possession. And we do know that Duva's baby was 100% human because Irene checked. But I think I just thought it was interesting that this is being brought up again because it could easily have not been. What I wonder, though, is that Duva was pregnant when she was possessed already. Right? Well, I think she was possessed on her wedding night because she got the ring as a wedding gift. So, oh, right. And so, okay. Yeah. So, so, who knows if she already had conceived the baby before? Well, I think that if, if things stay consistent and Holland, although, mind you, why would they bring it up if, yeah, if it wasn't mm-hmm. something? But, uh, so Dorian like was raised with kind of an evil father just because his father was Valg possessed, but his mm-hmm. strength of character meant, meant that he didn't turn evil. But Holland maybe doesn't have that same strength of character. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see the nature versus nurture on that. Yeah. It, I'm just, because it was brought up again, I'm assuming it's going to be There's, addressed. Yeah. There, yeah, it must be. Who knows? Um, and... I thought this was an interesting fun fact. Manon is 117 years old, in case anyone was wondering. We are officially told her age. Yes. (laughs) And another kind of fun fact, Rhiannon Crocken's crown, which is like a crown of stars, was taken by Baba Yellowlegs. And that was also randomly mentioned. Yeah. That just makes me wonder when that's going to come up again. Just, Just tuck away that little tidbit of information. A question I have for you to also ponder and consider is, mm-hmm. remember back in Morath when the witches were being impregnated by the Valg? Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, what happened? Was there any successful Valg th- demon spawn? <laughs> I think there was, because when Allied went to spy on them, they were on their second round of being mm-hmm. impregnated. Exactly. So what happened to the first round of creatures? Yeah. I'm just wondering if we're going to be introduced to a new horrific creature mm-hmm. that is the result of these really disturbing experimental babies. <laughs> yes. That would be kind of cool. Like uh, disgusting and disturbing, but... It's disgusting and disturbing, but... It's an unanswered kind of question. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to know if that's going to come up. Yeah. I mean, they easily could have just been, if they're not mentioned again, I think it's assumed that they were destroyed yep. in the collapse of more that section yep. of Morath. So I don't think it's like a loose end either way, but no. I, I think you're, I'm just wondering if it's, to see. yeah, I just wonder if it's going to be kind of like this unknown 
type of creature that they might have mm-hmm. to fight, and it is a result of that. Or or they died from Caltane. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a long one, so we appreciate if you stuck around to listen to the whole thing. Next week, we will be finishing part one of Kingdom of Ash. We hope to see you there. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>